everybody. Welcome back to the Empire State Conservatives Podcast, episode 112. It is me, your host, Evan, with the All-American Conservative, Solomon Tack. Guys, we have a great episode for you today. The first half is going to be me and Tack, but make sure you stay tuned after the break. I have Professor Nicholas Giordano of the PAS Report. He is absolutely excellent. Excellent. His podcast is great. If you haven't checked it out yet, it is the PAS Report on all platforms. Make sure you check that out and make sure you stay tuned for his segment on this show. But again, once again, for those of you who are new to the show, we are here to fight back against the leftist agenda that has been plaguing New York State for years. We are committed to bringing you the very best in conservative commentary, bringing you real conservative candidates and exposing rhinos and leftist derangement, of which there is a plenty lately. Tack, starting off, leftist Hollywood tried to take our money for Australian wildfires because climate change. But in reality, a bunch of people were arrested for arson in connection to these fires. I mean, for me, this starts to throw a lot of stuff into doubt in terms of California. I'm not saying people are deliberately lighting these fires, but we don't know that some of these fires aren't being caused by people. We already have the evidence. This is being reported by all major news outlets. When the leftist news outlets are reporting that people are being arrested for arson for these fires, it has to be true because that completely destroys their narrative. Tack, like, come on, just give me your perspective on this. What is going on in Australia? Like, are they trying to be California? So we we know the what is it, the NSW or whatever their agency is out there reported a whole bunch of people got arrested in connection to arson. Now what I'm noticing is that a majority of the time the left does not when things like this happen they don't wait for any kind of evidence to come out to see what's really happening. They just jump straight to it's climate change. It's because the world is going to heat up and we're all going to burn to death. Absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. Um, What I've seen multiple states do in order to take care of their brush areas is something called controlled burns. And what happens is you burn all of the dry brush in controlled ways so that if you get a lightning strike or somebody accidentally throws a, a cigarette, well, not accidentally, but they throw a cigarette butt, it won't accidentally catch on fire because all of the dried grass in that area, all the dried leaves or whatever's there has already been burnt down to a very minimal level. And if something does spark, they're able to control it much faster. And you're not seeing that in a lot of these areas that tend to be pretty dry and arid. They just let everything grow out of control. And then they complain about it later when something catches on fire and they can't keep up with it. But we've seen That's what I'm saying. We've seen a lot of leftist narratives being destroyed lately in terms of anti-Semitism being solely a white supremacy problem Mm -hmm. with the black Hebrew Israelites. And now we're seeing this, you know, so-called climate change. We don't know, you know, they're, they're claiming it's this one guy who's been, who's really been made public, but we don't know if these people are doing this in order to perpetuate climate change. We don't really know what's going on with this yet until we get more information until trials come out and all these other things. Mm -hmm. But we've seen a lot of these issues that are kind of being debunked now. And the biggest question I really have for places like California, why aren't you just clearing this stuff out? Even if you don't want to do a controlled burn, go in there, get a, first of all, California loves using criminals for work, you know, all of Hollywood, but (laughs) let's get a bunch of criminals out there with a rake and a bag and clean the stuff up. Mm -hmm. Why would you just let this stuff sit there to catch on fire? 
These are the questions that people aren't asking. And this is a big problem. The state of California burns down every single year. Why is nothing being done to prevent it? You know, it's, it's, it's infuriating. And they, they get millions of dollars a year, so billions of dollars in some, in some cases, a year of federal money, and they still haven't allocated it, at least in the correct ways to make sure they avoid these situations. It's big government. And it's been it getting work. worse and worse and worse progressively. Every year, more and more land is getting burnt down. It's getting closer and closer to people's houses. More and more properties being destroyed. More and more people are dying. But the state of California is worried so much. They're the most highest tax state in the union. You can't take half of that tax money and clean up your forest areas. I mean, they make still sure you the mitigate crap off the loss of life and damage. Say that again? They haven't cleaned the poop off the streets yet. <laughs> Skid row, baby. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's horrible. And this, and people, and I talk about this with every single person that I talk to. You want big government. You see the examples of big government and it doesn't work. So you keep wanting more Democrats in charge, right? You keep wanting the government to fix things. The government doesn't fix anything. They haven't fixed Detroit. They haven't fixed Baltimore. They are destroying New York City. They've destroyed mm-hmm. California. California, which I think their GDP is like number three or four in the world, not in the mm-hmm. country, in the world. And they don't have money to do anything. They are, they are broke. They, are, they, can't clear, they can't stop their state from catching on fire. They can't clean crap off the streets. This is a serious problem with big government that people are just not – they're not making the connection tech. Mm-hmm. So what, what's the point of having a bureau of land management? Uh, what is it like all of those forest bureaus and all that other stuff if they're not going to actually utilize them? Because the government come and fix it. <laughs> Supposedly, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so if we get all of these money, government agencies are a bit like forest gum. It's like, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, government can't run the post office, but let me get them all my money and they can fix the weather. <laughs> Morons, really. All right, moving on to the next segment, Tack. You brought this up to me, so I'm going to let you run with it because you, I saw the name Ilhan Omar with relation to Harriet Tubman, and I couldn't stop laughing. So I'm going to let you take the lead on this. Tell the people what is going on with the Harriet Tubman Award. So the inaugural Congressional Black Caucus has the Harriet Tubman Honors in awards recognizing black women in struggle and triumph this uh this or this this i guess already happened i didn't really catch on to it until late right uh this epic event was supposed to mark the 400 years since the first africans were forcefully brought to the united states and hampton is the one of the areas where the first african slaves landed so we understand Ilhan Omar is, and I don't want to just blame it on her religion, but she's of the, the Muslim faith, right? We know what's going on in Libya. We know what's going on in Oman and Saudi Arabia, et cetera, et cetera. We've waved our hands up a bunch of times. We've gotten people aware of it. And Ilhan Omar, a woman from Africa, who could actually put a stop to it because she loves Somalia so much. She loves the African continent so much. Mogadishu is a paradise. <laughs> she could actually put a stop to this, the, the slave trade that's going on on the continent that, that she stems from. 
but she hasn't even mentioned it. I promise you she knows what's going on. But she gets recognized under what they, who they deem Queen Mother Harriet Tubman, whatever the hell that means. Is it like the black god Barack Obama? <laughs> it's like the black god Barack Obama. Is those, those were your you words. The black god and the queen mother. <laughs> Before people try to dox me and throw rocks at my house, that was those were tax words from the last. Those time. were my words. That's my quote. So now we understand we have the black god and the queen mother Harriet Tubman. Uh, so a woman that has not stood against slavery is getting awarded under a woman who freed the slaves. The four women listed, Representative Karen Bass, uh, Representative Maxine Waters, Ilhan Omar, and Tamika Mallory, all marched. (laughs) They have all marched against the Second Amendment. Those of you who have heard my speech heard me talk about the fact that Harriet Tubman was known for walking around armed. Walking around armed Walking around with a uh, a rifle. She also owned a revolver, a a small pistol. Why would you then, knowing that we couldn't have won our freedoms without people like Harriet Tubman and without the Second Amendment, why would you then march against the Second Amendment and then say that you're honoring these Black women and contributing it to Harriet Tubman? These people obviously don't know their history, and they obviously don't care about the shit they actually say they stand for. It's not even just history. They don't know current events. Exactly. When you have have a president who's done more, I'm sorry to every liberal who hears this, but this is a fact, who has done more to the black community than, by far, than Barack Obama did, and these people are marching or protesting or doing all their stuff against this president who is actually helping the black community, you're going to give them an award? which commemorates one of the greatest black women of all time. Harriet Tubman is possibly the most badass black woman in the history of the world. And you're going to give an award in her honor, in her memory and her honor to Maxine Waters, who has done nothing for her community and Ilhan Omar, who has done nothing for anyone. Like this is, this disgraceful. Who do we call Maxine Waters runs the worst district in Los Angeles. Skid Row runs straight through the middle of Maxine Waters' district. This is who they're honoring. Somebody who doesn't even... Their their district is so bad, she doesn't even want to live in it. (laughs) I'm just saying. But this is what the left does. It's all about optics, and there's no substance behind it. Every single time they do something, it's for the optics. And if it's an actual policy, it fails. And this is what we see over and over again. But guess what? Uh, I have to vote Democrat because I want to make it look like I'm all for poor people and minorities. This is a problem, people. I've said this a million times. You need to vote in your interests. If you don't vote for your interests, no one else is. Because people in Maxine Waters' district and people in Ilhan Omar's district, they're not voting for your interests. If you want lower taxes and you're in the upper middle class or the middle class, guess what? If her constituents are in the lower class, they're going to vote for higher taxes for you because they want more tax money going to their programs, their communities, and to their welfare check. So if we want to just honor based off of race, right, which you know I don't, that's not something I stand for. I stand for honoring somebody based off the work they did. Honestly, Donald wanna, Trump should be getting this award. Exactly. If you really want to get into it, Donald Trump exactly. should be getting award. 
But if you want to just base it just off of race, I know a young lady that should have been at the forefront, center of that stage. Uh, and I, I listened to her make a, a speech on an event that happened in Chicago where a young, uh, a young black boy, still in elementary school, still elementary school age, had, he was out at a basketball court and he was shooting around by himself. And another adult came up to him, uh, shot the basketball with him, garnered his, his trust, and said, hey, if we walk down to this store over here, like, I'll buy you whatever you want. Kid walks down to the store with him. The adult takes him to the alleyway and shoots him. And it ends up being a gang hit. Black on black crime, right? Shocking. That never happens. I know. And then another thing that she did was she helped to push uh, the whole bail, the, not the bail reform. <laughs> she helped to push the criminal justice reform at the federal level. She's also taken thousands of black youth and brought them into the, the White House. If you haven't caught on to it yet, it's Candace Owens. It's Candace Owens. So she, what she said at the end of that speech was, why are we talking about fearing white people when it's crimes like this being committed every day within our neighborhoods at a shocking level, but you do not hear the left talking about it? Because if you can blame white people, you don't have to take any personal responsibility. This is what is going on on the left. It's let's play the blame game. It's the same thing their politicians do. Oh, Donald Trump cheated. We didn't lose because we ran the worst candidate in the history of politics against Donald Trump. Like, it's, it's beyond idiotic. This is what they do. They play the blame game, which is why you will never have someone like Candace Owens until there's a big change in terms of whoever's giving out this award. You told me and I forgot. Uh, until there's a change in the people giving out this award, you won't have someone like Candace Owens or even someone like Angela Stanton who is, who is standing up against yeah. violence in the black community. Yeah. You're not going to have these people because they're not pushing the right narrative. Instead, you have Ilhan Omar who has done nothing for anyone except for say disgusting things about 9-11 and cry over terrorists. I mean, there's a video of Ilhan Omar when she says, she says like a terrorist organization's name and she smiles. And when she says something about the United States, she has this like disgusted look on her face. The scowl. Yeah, she is like, she is a disgusting human being. To call, actually, to call her a human being is kind of disgusting in and of itself. And I apologize to all of our listeners. But Maxine Waters is a complete nutcase. Maxine Waters, who called for Republicans and, and Trump supporters to be harassed in public, Come on, this is insane. These are the people being awarded with the Harriet Tubman Award? Harriet Tubman is looking down from heaven going, you dumb, dumb bastards. How dumb, <laughs> God. If I could come back and possess someone and just take you all out, I would. I guarantee it's what she's thinking. Harriet Tubman, I got you back. I'm not going to let them sully your name without some fight. So what, what we should talk about later is, uh, is something that um, I caught on to yesterday. It's called surrogate warfare. Let's just talk about it right now. <laughs> it's an amazing. So with surrogate warfare, it's if I came to you, right, mm-hmm. and I spoke to you about an issue, like you have your own own fight you're trying to take on. You got it organized, and you're pushing forward. And I come to you with my issue, and then I make my issue your issue. It has nothing to do with you, but you take it on anyway, and you martyr yourself for me. And that's exactly what these states are using, these foreign states using Ilhan Omar for. So she tweeted out that she was happy about the death of of Big Daddy, right? 
It's yeah. all Big Daddy. And she's disgusted about the death of Kasim Salami. Why? Because ISIS was a natural enemy of Iran. What she's doing and what people aren't catching on to is she's martyring herself for Iran's cause. People that are, I support Ilhan, I support Ilhan, all of a sudden are jumping onto the backs of Iran, and that's the exact way we lost the Vietnamese war, is by controlling the narrative in their enemy nation. If you can control a narrative, it's the same thing that Mad Dog matters with the winning the hearts and minds. Yeah, I was just about to say, that's the hearts and minds thing. Exactly. So what they're doing is they're pushing with, from within the government itself, not going out there and handing out candies and sodas to the little kids and trying to go from the root up the rest of the tree. They're going from the government itself and pushing their, their words out. Uh, Saudi Arabia owns parts of our, our um, news companies. Qatar owns parts of our news companies. And we're wondering why we sit down and, and listen to these news organizations and they're just com- constantly trashing Trump. You don't think with the knowledge that foreign entities own our news media, you don't think that we're hearing the news that foreign entities want us to hear? It's a fair That's what's point. going on. <laughs> it is a fair point. We're going to get more. Let's, you know, let's save some of that for, um, for our episode. We have a guest coming up later in the week. You guys will see uh, Moshe Hill. He's a contributor with the Daily Wire and um, – some other newspaper that I forgot, but don't worry. He's going to be on, on our Sunday episode guys. So make sure you tune into that guys. Stay tuned after the break for my interview with professor Nicholas Giordano of the PAS report. And other than that, make sure you guys check us out on all social media and everything else and stay tuned through the break. Hey guys, I'd like to welcome Nicholas Giordano, who is a professor of political science at Suffolk County Community College and the host of the PAS Report podcast to the show. Nick, thanks for coming on. So glad to have you. Um, a big thing that you do on your show is you break things down so simply that even I can understand them. Um, so, you know, if you give me a sense of, in terms of bail reform, um, in terms of breaking that down for people in a way that is very simple for people to understand, that would be awesome. Well, it's thanks for having me, first of all. But it, it, to me, I'm always about – I'm a common-sense type of guy, okay? So I have uh, my book smarts. I know all about government and politics. I know about the law. Uh, but a lot of it really drives – it's just plain common sense. So if we look at the bail reform package that was passed and is now in effect, what New York State has done is they removed any bail requirement from any nonviolent offenses out there. What that means is if you have someone that robs a home and no one was in that home, that person is not required to post bail. Therefore, they get out of jail immediately once they're booked. And essentially, they're receiving a citation to appear in court at a later date. So they're being released back into the community that they victimized, and they have no incentive to show back up to court because what bail does, once you show back up to court, you get that money back once your case is done. By removing that, well, you're creating a threat not only to the community that those people are living in, uh, but you're 
potentially going to have more and more victims each and every day as these people are released. And just so everyone's aware, I was speaking, I have friends that are uh, Nassau County police officers, Suffolk County police officers, and NYPD. But just from Nassau and Suffolk County, over 700 people have been released since January 1st. 700 people that have been accused and charged uh, of committing crimes because they're quote-unquote nonviolent have been released. Now, people that I've spoken to say, well, you know, that's not a big deal because if someone steals something from a store, you know, they didn't hurt anyone. It's not that big of a deal. But what people don't realize is we're talking serious crimes. So let's just say you have a person who steals from a store. Well, that person may have a rap sheet where they committed six assaults before they stole from that store. So while stealing from the store isn't necessarily a violent crime, even though it does victimize us, well, they are a violent person because of the assaults. If you have someone that's selling fentanyl and heroin and crack cocaine, well, that's not technically a violent crime. But yet we know that 63,000 Americans are going to die this year just on overdoses on these drugs. And if Narcan wasn't around, that number would be well over 100,000 people. So you have a crack cocaine or a heroin dealer that's pushing this drug on, on people, and yet they're nonviolent, so they're just going to get a citation to appear in court. And what's the incentive for them to actually appear in court? And there is none. A warrant will be issued eventually, but you have to find that person now. It becomes a lot more difficult. They could go underground. They go hiding. They may flee to another state. And so the idea behind bail reform was possibly one of the dumbest, if not the dumbest piece of legislation I have ever seen in my life. It provides no benefit to anyone. I want to make it clear to every listener out there. This does not hurt the elected officials. The elected officials may represent these districts where we're seeing these high crime areas, but they don't live in those districts. The people that get hurt are the people in those districts whose infrastructure is already crumbling, who already have a fear of walking the streets, who already have to put on four locks on their doors because of the violence that's going on, who already have children that may be addicted to these hardcore narcotics. So you, essentially, the elected officials say, well, we're going to do this because we think this is what the people want in that district. The people in that district are suffering, and it shows how out of touch our elected officials are. I mean, that is the biggest problem. And like I said, like I always say is the Democrats do everything based on what it looks like on the surface. So, ooh, bail reform. We don't want, you know, we don't want to hold poor people for committing petty crimes. So it looks good on the surface. But in reality, it doesn't work in any sense of the word. And, the, and their, a lot of their justification for this was, well, only about 4% of people don't show up for court with the bail system. So why do we need the bail system? Like, that shows the bail system's effective. That means it's working when people show up to court. And they, it's the same thing that they always do. It's, I'm going to push this through so I can put it on my resume. And it's not effective and it doesn't work. And like you said, it is making these communities less safe. We had a woman who was arrested three times in one week for assault. How is she getting out of jail? Last time I checked, assault was a violent crime. And not only assault, you could argue that it was a hate crime because it was against uh, Jewish people. So she attacks a Jewish person, gets arrested for it, gets released with no bail because of the new law. Literally within 24 hours, 
does it again, gets released again without any bail, and then within 24 hours after that, does it again. That's the amazing part. And, and see, what really bothers me, because a lot of people are, are afraid to talk because they're afraid to be labeled as a racist or a bigot or a xenophobe or anything like that. But, but let's be honest here. The Democrat Party thinks that because the Democrats, many of them are actually the real racist when you're looking at their policies because they play in this game of identity politics. And, and so they say that the reason that we're doing this bail reform is because we want the black vote. To me, that's a little racist. You're assuming that all black people are the criminals, which isn't the case. And not only is it racist, well, now you're going to release these people into communities that you claim you care about. Well, that's not a good idea. It's a recipe for disaster, and we're seeing it. And, and I was reading an interesting story yesterday because Governor Cuomo, with his state-of-state address and the things he liked to see, he, he wants to ban gropers from the New York City subway system. That'll work. I, I, I think it's like a three-year ban he wants to impose if anyone you know, sexually assaults these uh, people on the subways. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, you moron. Like, you, you did away with the whole bail system that you could have arrested these people that are groping and keep them in jail, put bail on them, because if they can't afford bail, they're not getting out. But instead, you're going to release them. And now you're just saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're not going to allow them in the subway for three years. I want to see how they enforce that one, these geniuses that they are. Of course, they won't be able to. And then you have dumb, dumb AOC talking about, oh, we don't want more police on the subways. So you have conflicting policies on the left where we want to protect people on the subways, but we don't really want to protect them because we don't want to put the police in there. Well, they don't want to protect anyone. Let's be clear about this, because if we look at what Governor Cuomo said, Governor Cuomo actually said that conservatives aren't welcome in this state, that ICE is a bunch of thugs, that ICE needs to get out. So here you have a governor that welcomes all illegal immigrants, says New York State is going to be an illegal immigrant haven, uh, but says conservatives are not welcome here and we should get out, that ICE is a bunch of thugs. You see attacks on law enforcement continually increasing. And so do they really want to see actual law and order? I mean, do they really want to see a civilized society? You know, and not only do their actions tell us that they don't, but their words tell us that they don't. You know, if you look at New York City, look at how crime is increasing. Look at how homelessness is increasing. And now you have this mayor, he's just ridiculous, that wants to shut down Rikers Island for what? For what? I mean, when Commissioner Carrick had Rikers Island, he, he actually fixed the problems that existed there. Now Rikers Island is bed prison once again. But what's he doing now? Well, he's going to shut it down and instead of keeping all the prisoners in New York City in one centralized location, well, now, guess what? Four out of the five boroughs are going to be receiving about 4,000 criminals in their own district. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. And it truly amazes me how if we look at the failures over the last 20 years of the state, if we look at what the state's discussed, uh, discussing, it is disgusting. <laughs> it is. What they're doing. And... and Unfortunately, we have a population that doesn't turn out, they don't participate, they don't vote, and so it just continually gets worse and worse because let's make no mistake about it. These policies we're seeing are highly unpopular. 
the loudest voices in the room are actually the minority. They're not the majority. The majority of New Yorkers don't feel this way. Yet, we're silent. And this is what happens when you're silent. I mean, you know, you try going to a DMV today in, in New York State now that illegal immigrants can get driver's license. And, I still have my picture from when I'm 16 because I refuse to go to the DMV. Yeah, well, good luck because this year you're going to have to go to the DMV if you want to be able to use your license to get on a plane because it goes to the enhanced ID now. And, and but that's more, the more money down the drain. Absolutely. <laughs> and the scary part is what's next? Are we going to push a provision? And don't be surprised, this starts to get discussed this year that these same people that now could get driver's license that are illegally here, are they going to actually be able to vote in local elections? Are they going to be able to vote in statewide elections? Remember, the federal government doesn't get involved with elections. It's the state and local governments that handle it. And so they can pass a law in New York State. There's nothing that forbids them granting illegal immigrants the right to vote. They can't vote in a federal election, but they can vote in local elections. And we've seen that happen in places like California and Washington and uh, Oregon. You know, that's, that's probably the biggest issue that people don't understand is that we will lose complete control over our own government if we allow them to keep running roughshod over us. Dem like you said, democratic policies are not popular. But a big thing is that people just don't understand how to vote. They don't understand. They look at the name, they go Democrat. And like, why are you voting this way? So you are a professor at Suffolk Community College. How, what do you see in the younger generation that is causing this kind of shift away from, let's just call it sanity, to this leftist push for ideals that, that no one really wants? Well, there's there's several things going on uh, that I could say. So, first of all, most young people aren't even engaged. Most young people have disengaged from the political process. And most, almost all, with the exception of a handful, don't know anything about American government. And this illustrates the collapse of our education system. So, every semester, I always give a citizenship exam the first day of class and they all fail it. And there's basic questions on there. Who's speaker of the house? Name uh, one of the rights in the first amendment that are granted to you. What's the second amendment? I mean, I have students that will tell me that the Supreme Court should rule that the second amendment is unconstitutional. Now, I, I want you to think about this logically for a second. The second amendment is part of the constitution. It's attached to the constitution as an amendment. The only way to overturn Supreme Court decisions is to actually pass a constitutional amendment. So the Supreme Court has no say on whether the Second Amendment is constitutional because it's an amendment. Thereby, therefore, it is constitutional right off the bat. Um, but they have little knowledge of American government. And how can you appreciate a country if you don't know that country? If you were never told the good things about that country, if you don't know the roles and responsibilities of each branch of government, of the concept of federalism, separating out the federal government from the state government. And that's the biggest problem today. And I think if you look, it's almost as if we're nationalizing state races and we're nationalizing local races. I mean, local races should actually be apolitical because you're talking about local, you're talking about permits and roadways and red light cameras. When you look at it though, it's, national issues that are trying to take over 
those local issues. And that's not the way the system is designed or set up, but because people have no knowledge over what local government does or what state government does, they're constantly saying, well, the federal government needs to do this. The federal government should do that. And then the state governments, they run with it. See, I'm someone that believes in the separation of federal and state powers. So take something like healthcare. We're seeing a big push for socialized medicine. We're seeing a big push for a universal healthcare system. And I ask my students, why should we do it nationally? You know, if California wants to do it, why doesn't California just do it themselves? This way, if it works in California, then other states will consider adopting it. If it fails miserably in California, which I think it will, then other states are going to say, hell no, we don't want that. But at least we didn't screw things up for 49 other states. Why do it at the national level? The states are the laboratories. Let them experiment with policy. But unfortunately, the students don't see that and they don't realize that. And that becomes the burden that we're facing today. I, have to go, I teach college. I shouldn't have to teach about three branches of government or checks and balances. But yet I have to go to the basics because they didn't receive that education in K through 12. They know Americans had slaves. They know that there was Japanese internment camps. They know that we took land away from Native Americans. They know Rosa Parks had to sit in the back of the bus. But they don't know all the good things the United States has done. And I think that's why you see that a lot of the younger generation is not proud to be necessarily American because they don't know the great things that we've done. And they don't realize. So I I was talking to a group of students several weeks ago, 61% of younger people between the ages of 16 and 24 want to see freedom of speech amended to ban the idea of offensive speech and hate speech. And once again, it's simple questions I ask. So who dictates what's offensive speech or hate speech? Who's going to be the one that dictates that? Well, it's going to be the government. Well, who is government? Who's in charge of government? Well, it's Donald Trump. He's the president of the United States. Exactly. So do you want Donald Trump that determines what could be said and what can't be said? And then it opens their eyes a little bit because they don't think critically, but then that starts to get them to think. Then I explain further. I look at the Civil Rights Act and the women's suffrage movement. Those things happened because of the First Amendment, not in spite of the First Amendment. They happened because of the First Amendment. Had you banned offensive speech during the civil rights movement, well, guess what? The powers that be would have said, you're not allowed to protest if you're black and if you're a minority. You're not allowed to speak up. You're not allowed to organize. You're not allowed to assemble. And you wouldn't have had the civil rights movement. And so I try and educate them that way. Yeah, I use the same thing with the Second Amendment. I'll always tell them like, okay, so you think a lot of kids in my school, I work in a special education school, but a lot of them come from minority neighborhoods. And I'll tell them, okay, you guys think that the police are racist. You think that Donald Trump is a racist. Why on earth would you want to give up your ability to defend yourself from racists and give them all the weapons? And they're like, and there's no answer. Because there's no, you can't have a response to that. If you think the government is corrupt and that the police are corrupt, why would you not want to defend yourself against them? It's, it's common sense. And the worst part about common sense is it's not common. And anymore. Anymore. And that's why I really like your show. You kind of try to push that common sense back into the picture. And it's something that we try to do also where people just need to be educated. There's a lack of educating people on history, 
on not even just U.S. history, world history. People don't understand what led to the rise of Nazi Germany or how Hitler was able to put six million Jews into boxcars and load them into death camps. Why would people just get into boxcars knowing they're going to die? Because they don't have the ability to fight back against the government. People don't know that communist China killed tens of millions of people, that Stalin killed 20 million of his own people. They don't know these things. They don't know that Castro murdered a bunch of his own people because they've kind of glossed over these areas of history and it's, it's come back to bite us because then people start, if, if, you know, communist Cuba doesn't look that bad, then why don't we just try it out here? Maybe we'll do a better job. No, communist Cuba was and still is pretty bad. Cuba is still a pretty bad country. <laughs> it is. You realize they don't have an immigration problem, nor does North Korea. But you bring up a great point about looking at history, because I do that all the time with my students, especially when it comes to the idea of the Second Amendment, because the roadmap's pretty clear. First, you take away the guns. Then you take away the press. Then you take away the freedom of speech. Then you have a tyranny. And we see this time and time again. The most recent case is Venezuela. But I could even... If you look at everything that's going on in Iran, two-thirds of the Iranian people don't like the mullahs. They're a younger generation born after the 1979 Islamic Revolution, but they have no guns to fight back. And I'm constantly, you know, because I love debating, I have fun with it. And so I always get these leftists that will say, well, you don't really need guns because you can't possibly defeat the United States military. Like, you know, it's just... You don't need these high-powered weapons, and they're not even that high-powered, let's be honest, but you don't need high-powered weapons because there's no possible way that you're going to defeat the strongest military in the entire world. And then I just take their argument, and I said, okay, that's a good way of thinking, but here's the thing. If I go back to 1776, what was the strongest military in the world? British Empire. Well, it was the British Empire. And who were the soldiers of the United States? A bunch of civilians. A bunch of civilian farmers who were not well-trained. I mean, if you look at it, the British military had endless amounts of money, endless amounts of supplies and equipment. They had a well-trained army, and yet a bunch of farmers were able to defeat them. So what's to say that same thing can't happen? And I'm not saying that we would easily be able to do it. Okay, if we run the simulations, 99 times out of 100, the Americans lose the American Revolution. We now have the data that we could put in all the variables and plug it into a computer and it'll spit it out. And the same thing holds true today, that 99 times the government would win in any type of uprising here in the United States. But there's that one time that we would win. And I'd rather that 1% chance than the 100% chance of a dictatorship and tyranny. You have to fight for what you love. Yeah, and a big part of that that we have an issue with is, uh, people don't get, is maybe the military splits. There's no guarantee that the military is going, not going to split and half of them aren't going to side with the American people. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the whole point. Uh, first of all, I think they would. Obviously, if you look at the military, they have a duty and obligation to the country, not to someone in office and not for power. And that's the amazing part. And our military is the most professional military in the entire world. And they, they're there to uphold the United States Constitution. All right, Professor Giordano, I want to thank you for coming on. Where can people find your podcast? Where can they find out more about you? Well, they could go to the PASReport.com, PASReport.com. They could find the podcast on there. They could go to any major podcast platform, type in the PAS Report or Nicholas Giordano, and it will come up. 
And then they could also find me on Twitter at PAS Report. They could find me on Facebook. Just put in my name or PAS Report. So anytime you type in the PAS Report, I'm going to come up somewhere. So, All right. Thanks again for coming on. And guys, don't forget to check him out. And don't forget to tune in later this week for our next episode.